from the Zimmerman Symphony Center in Canton, Ohio. This is Orchestrating Change. I'm Matthew Jenkins Yaroshevitz, Associate Conductor of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. And I'm Rachel Hegemeyer, Manager of Education and Community Engagement. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining us. This podcast will navigate the problems that exist in the field of classical music and the world at large. We invite you to listen with open ears as our guests share their experiences as underrepresented professionals in the music industry. Our guest today is award-winning singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer Angie Hayes. A native of Akron, Angie has the unique experience of being our only guest this season who does not come from the classical music world, though she has performed on the Canton Symphony's Divergent Sound series, which pairs local, non-classical performers with chamber ensembles from our orchestra. She was also scheduled to perform with the full forces of the Canton Symphony Orchestra last May, a concert that was regrettably canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic and will hopefully be rescheduled as soon as it's safe to do so. Angie Hayes, welcome to Orchestrating Change. Oh, thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you. Um, it's um, it's I, This is a very exciting conversation for me because we, we truly are getting someone with an outside perspective to tell us what is wrong with us, which oh, <laughs> is going no. to be great. No, no, no. Um, we're very excited to have you today. And you're such a wonderful person. And I haven't been able to get to know you a ton, but I know I, Michelle has told me so much about you. So I feel like I do know you. Um, <laughs> and so I just wanted to start us off. You know, your life story is very moving. It's uh, you've gone through a lot in your life and you've come through and created something beautiful. So would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself and your story um, and, and why music is such an integral part of your life? Mm, okay. So, um, I, I decided to pretty much be an open book about my life. Um, because I feel like that can be helpful to others who have maybe experienced some of the things that I have. And I know that for me, I was always looking for some sort of validation and others to relate to. Um, but I do come from, um, a lot of, I, a life of trauma and, um, childhood abuse, um, sexual abuse. And, um, I, which really, really, as you can imagine, uh, impacted the way that I, um, grew up, you know? So, uh, music, even from the time that I was like, I think I was two or three, I, would just cling to, to, to melodies. I could memorize stuff really fast. Um, and so I remember even during some of the horrible things that would happen to me, I would go off into this like place of music mm -hmm. where I would compose, I would orchestrate, I would imagine, um, my band, I would imagine being on a stage. I would actually like compose melodies and I would like of each instrument and orchestrate like you know I just and and it's kind of interesting because my background the growing up I, I listened to a lot of classical music I was really drawn to it mm -hmm. um and 
So I was always, I was always pretending like I was, you know, like <laughs> I, I was in charge of a symphony and um, I, I don't know. I, I, I just naturally started to wander into that world of kind of taking me out of something horrible and creating something for my future. Mm. I just didn't realize how literal <laughs> that was. Right. Yeah. Right. So for our listeners who are not familiar with the music industry and how it works, and especially the music industry outside of the orchestral world, how exactly do musicians make money? How do you have your careers? And uh, tell us about the different facets of being a touring musician and a member of a band. So uh, it's, this is such a good question because <laughs> the industry has changed drastically. Like, you know, we went from, and I'm not that this doesn't exist at all anymore, but you know, we, we, we don't really, it's not heard of to just go to like a club and play and then um, be recognized and like some big label picks you up. It's that's <laughs> kind of, that's just not how things go. Mm. And like they, they would put all this money into you and then, you know, you, they basically might make money off of you. Unfortunately, the artists, you know, with this kind of deal would often be taken advantage of, um, which I think is why it kind of started to evolve and artists started to kind of go, well, maybe I can do some of that stuff. Maybe I can get into production or work with somebody that I know that does production, record, and, um, and, you know, eventually now we have like in-house studios and people are like studying, you know, how to, how to do all this production, production and mixing and also like going, well, shoot, maybe I can just get a marketing firm to help me or do my own publishing. So there, it kind of evolved into a lot of artists taking control of their, their work. I, I kind of treated it like a business, like, well, I, I have to start a brand and mm. think of myself as a brand and as a as a business as a small business mm -hmm. so to make money um it's difficult you know you have to be really really creative it's streaming doesn't make money mm -mm, mm -mm. so you almost have to um uh start at your home base and grow a following and um market to your fans, you know, whether it's through your own merchandise sales and concerts and, um, you know, I have a Patreon now, mm -hmm. yeah. especially now, <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash the Angie Hayes project. I'm just going <laughs> to plug that in there. Um, yeah. So you just have to really be creative with how you run your business. You have mm -hmm. to think about it, you know, as an artist being also a business, which is really difficult for a lot of us, right, but right. yeah. You talk a little bit about creating a brand and certainly <laughs> part of that for you and part of the audience you're trying to reach are people who have had similar life experiences and life traumas mm. as, as you have. Tell us a little bit about some of the interactions that you've had with your fans who have been through similar experiences and, and what that experience has been like hearing how your music has affected their lives. Mm. Um, that always gets me really emotional, actually. Um, 
I mean, essentially that's the entire reason I'm doing what I'm doing. I sharing my story and if I'm and being able to help even just one person who's experienced trauma of any kind or anything similar to my, you know, my journey, just being able to move them in a positive way gives every single part of what I've been through worth. Mm -hmm. It just, it's worth it to me. Mm -hmm. And so hearing people tell me that, you know, it's important that I'm sharing this part of my life and that it gives them the validation and the courage to also share and also find their voice and their self-worth and importance. That just um, reminds me that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I, you know, everyone experiences trauma in their life. And un unfortunately for a lot of people, especially girls, sexual trauma can be a part of that. And I know that um, as, as someone myself who has experienced that music was the thing that you pour yourself into. And I remember my senior recital happened very, in, in college happened within a month of an experience that I had. And I just poured everything that I had into making this the best thing I possibly could. So when I listened to your music, which I didn't know in college, but now I know, and I yeah. listened to things like Gingerbread Man and, you know, all these different songs that are very impactful. It, it, it is empowering and it is um, beautiful to hear, even though it's something so dark because it shows how strong and resilient people can be to come out of these situations and to create something beautiful. And, you know, the music industry is full of people sharing their stories. And I'm so glad that you're able to do that and um, have created this brand of inclusivity and openness and communication and um, people can't help but be moved when they hear your music. So thank you from me and probably from a lot of other people, but um, yeah, it's, it's just something really, really wonderful to hear. And I'm, I, I hope that you keep making music for a very long time. And um, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's interesting looking at, at, at how you make music and how COVID has affected what you do and we were talking a little bit before we were recording about your new song and how you mixed everything and produced everything and did all this work um and you wouldn't have had time to do that if covid hadn't happened but uh can you maybe share a little bit more about some things that have changed because of the pandemic and especially mm. with things being online and how to you talk about you know engaging with fans and and having this base and, and having real connections how do we do that when everything's online and we can't actually go out and sell t-shirts to people and hug people and have like, yeah. you know, concerts at, at clubs and all of this other stuff. How, how do we, uh, how has the music industry shifted during this time? It's been really hard. hard. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's like, I went into like a state of panic, right? Like right away going, Oh my gosh, you know, how are we going to, how, how am I not going to go under? Um, Cause this is my, Full, you know, being, I'm a full-time musician, mm -hmm. so, um, which has been so fantastic to finally get myself to that point. And last year I had done so, you know, 2019, I felt like, oh, finally I'm, I'm doing, I'm going somewhere, I'm doing some stuff. And then it was like, wow, I just, you know, 2020 just pulled the rug right under, yeah, right underneath me. And so, um, I, 
I had to, I had to have my time to get really depressed because <laughs> I, I just got to do that. I really believe in acknowledging it, feeling it right when it happens so that you don't drag it on for the rest of your life. So I did my time <laughs> and then I was like, all right, I have to study. So I started to um, study streaming and how I could stream, um, you know, on multiple, uh, on simultaneously on different platforms. And then I, so I put that together and was able to successfully do that. And I, I, gosh, people, I did like a 24 hour. Um, I remember that. Or, yeah. It's 24 hour stream. I did 12 hours myself. And then the, the rest of my band each took, took over an mm -hmm. hour and that, raised us it, it was just it was so great people were so so supportive so people like donated to my paypal and um uh for that and so that really helped me get through the next couple months and then um i had uh i started working on the the, the new album and kind of randomly some little opportunities like to to give music lessons there was also some grants that i was able to get covid you know mm -hmm. covid grants specifically for artists so that was helpful it just um it's still really difficult not having the performance part for sure the 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 live performance part and and um and my band like mm. my band i it's I feel like saying band it gives it such little weight to what they these people really are to me. Mm. They're really my family. I they're my chosen family through and through and what they bring is just it what we give each other I think is just so much and that's shared through music which has just but always been my dream, you know, to have that and so not having that has been really really difficult. I mean we keep in touch of course, but not being able to see everyone and not being able to hug them when we, when when you see them is it's just really hard um but i have been truly honest to god i have been so very fortunate by by both fans family and just like uh opportunities that have fallen into my lap during this time so i do feel really really lucky mm, yeah so have you been able to make music with any members of your band at all and were any of them involved in your latest release so yes yeah, so um we do have a quarant quarantine series on youtube mm -hmm. and um so i what i did was i would send them all a reference track so i would record something with a click mm -hmm. track and send send it to them and go listen to this on headphones and record your part send it back to me They'd send it back to me. I'd mix it all down and um, put it together. Put it put a video together of all of us. So it was like, and we would for a while get so excited seeing ourselves with each with each other, even though we weren't really together. Just mm -hmm. see, we would just get so excited about it. And so, so we did that for a while, and then um, with the new release, that was our next thing. We had because it was nice outside um, in the fall. We started working on the music video. So. Um, we we were ever doing everything outside and just we finally got to see each other we were doing <laughs> dance parts like we it was just so fantastic we were just so it really lifted our spirits i think and um to do something like that so i have a um one of my bandmates too is also really involved in a lot of the he's also my he's like a he's like a co-producer uh, second mixing engineer and he also um did 
he he helped me with um end of times like fine tuning the mix and then also did the video editing with my wife Meryl. Mm -hmm. So there's it's really cool that we have in house. There's so many things that everyone can do. So I still was able to make it work with seeing and working with them. Mm -hmm. Um just not a lot, you know, not yeah. like especially during the winter time it's harder. So right, and right, we right. actually we took a similar <laughs> approach with our youth symphony mm -hmm. this year, having everybody record along with the click track and then mm. we put it all together on video and yeah. we could see each other all on the same yeah. screen and yeah. hear each other. And you know, it will never ever replace the experience of being there together, being present with one another, making music in right. person. But it for 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 the times we are living in right now it was a very good substitute and mm -hmm. still it, yeah yes we were so happy we were able to still make music right. despite the times yes right right yes, it's absolutely it's a blessing to make music when you can and it was wonderful to see the students worked so hard on it you know how difficult it is to get things to line up and to mix it together yeah. and matthew yeah. put in a lot of time and uh, but it was wonderful just to see the students faces when they got to mm. actually see themselves on screen with everyone That's else cool. and um it was it was it was um Really, really wonderful. So I mentioned at the top of the podcast that you are a unique guest to the show this season because you are the only one not from the world of classical music, from the world of orchestral music. So talk a little bit about how you view our industry, the orchestral industry, as a musician, but a musician who is in a different type of music from what we do. Hmm. So, okay, I, I guess if, if we're talking about, so if we're talking about music, the music aspect of it, I love classical music. I grew up with it. I, you know, I still, I still want to um, incorporate some aspects and I still do into my, into popular music. I kind of, I just, I, I know that we're in a, like the industry now has changed a little bit geared towards more of a minimalistic side but i'm still kind of fighting in a way with utilizing more of a heavy orchestrated side of mm -hmm. things you know bigger arrangements so um with that said as far as the industry goes though as far if we're talking business wise like i am saddened to see that i don't think it's i'm not it's not as um popular anymore or it just doesn't seem like the like the audience's like there's not as young of a crowd. It's not like a new, I don't, I, I know that there's a fight for that right mm -hmm. now. So, which does, um, it does upset me because I do value uh, classical music. I do, do value everything that it's about and um, the history of it. Um, I just, yeah, I think that maybe some things have to change in the terms of, um, approach maybe like market like the, how it's maybe how it's presented I don't know mm. I, I have no idea what that is I don't <laughs> I'm not an expert at all I just think I just I do hate to see like yeah and anything be lost with that it's like it's it's I don't know it's too it's too important in my opinion orchestras all over the country are trying to attract younger audiences mm. why do you think that we as an industry may what are possible reasons why we may have be having trouble with this and mm. what could we do to make younger people feel like they're more welcome at a symphony concert 
So I think there are a couple things. So yes, there <laughs> you have to remember that right now, especially we have these mm-hmm, are, phones, I, phones, right? People, I, I think that what's changed drastically, one of the things, many things that have tra- changed drastically in our tech world, as far as um, what attention spans, mm-hmm. right? So everyone is so, inst- I need instant gratification and I, I don't, and I can't have my attention for more than like 15 seconds or something. That's why the things like TikTok or, you know, mm-hmm. there's just all of these things that are capturing young minds and eyes. And, and it just kind of, if there's not something that's in that um, package, <laughs> then it's so hard to, to, to grab them. Um, I mean, I've, I'm even having to learn this myself. I've, I've had to like study. For me, it's all about psychology. I need to figure out what the, what's, what's changing. How do I change? How do I um, still become, you know, remain fresh? And um, yeah, what do I, what do I do to stay relevant? Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a fact, a matter of that young people don't, wouldn't like classical music or don't feel welcome or don't feel I don't think it's that I think it's just about how to um attract them with that being such a factor mm-hmm. the the quick you know the the attention span not being there type you know what I mean right. or or combining it with something that they can relate to I I truly believe in um storytelling I think if there can be a backstory to why something um, matters or should be heard or, you know, I think there's something about that that makes it really relatable to people and even kids. You, you, that's something that always made a big impact on me was when I could hear why did the, this artist paint this or why did they write this song or what was the feeling behind that? Because then you kind of tie it to your own. If you can make it relatable, then you don't forget it. And then you want to hear it and you want to be a part of it. You know what I mean? Right. So Absolutely. that's just my opinion. I don't For know. Sure. I think. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that's a huge, a huge part of it. And, you know, going into t- looking at the classical music versus popular music, one of the biggest differences is the fact that words are present typically in yes. one yes. versus the other. And yes it's much easier to grasp onto words that you can listen to and understand um, as opposed to something that it's all in your head of what maybe those words would be if words were to accompany it, you know, leaving out opera, leaving out, uh, you know, uh, you know, operatic singing. Um, So what do you think the word, why, why are those words um, so impactful and why do you think it, it does draw the attention of people, as you just said. You you like the story. You like storytelling. What is it? What is it about words that just capture the attention of audiences maybe better than I, others? So I think that like like for me, I love the I I also love instrumental. Like I I prefer to just kind of zone out and listen to something without any words. Like I do like th- mm. that really resonates but I think if you're talking about an average or like a younger audience I think the imp the it's like you're you're using two two um aspects you're 
grabbing them emotionally with the music, but then you're also like kind of reiterating the fact with the words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of, so it's not so lost. You almost need that like extra sense or extra, um, some of people just need that just to kind of like reiterate what it is. Right. Um, cause I, I, even for myself, I've, I originally started out with just like, I would just compose on the piano, like cut, you know, pieces and, um, and then, you know, people, well, you should sing something. So then I started singing something and then writing stuff. But even when I started out as a, as a songwriter, my songs were so long. I was gonna, I was going to bring up the and fact they that were you, so journey. Yeah. yeah, just like a journey, because in my head, I'm hearing all these arrangements. I'm like, oh, but you know, there's this string section here and there's this and this and this. And so constantly would be told by, especially in industry um, music industry people, you have to shorten your songs. You have mm. to shorten your songs. You know, the arrangements, you maybe make them, just make them shorter or maybe not so much. And I'm just like, oh, that's hot. <laughs> that's my favorite part. You know, right. this is where I come from. So I had to really figure out how do I, how do I carve that out? What does that look like? How can I stay true to my arrangements and what I really love, but also, put myself into this into this package mm -hmm. so that it can be um relevant and it can feed people right. um so yeah it's it's not it's it's tricky but you know and it, yeah it's just it's just really trying to find fi figure that out i think um i don't know adding some sort of maybe even having somebody speak and tell the story of the song before it's mm -hmm. before it's played or something just something like that just something to really really yeah, yeah. I find it so ironic that um, a lot of times it's like shorten it, make the song shorter in the music industry in general, when one of the probably the m most well-known songs ever that probably most Americans can sing, always, most people could sing is Bohemian Rhapsody, Yes, which, yep. which, broke, which broke yep. radios with how long it was. That's <laughs> yes, that, that's my favorite song of all time. That's, I wrote a paper about that in, high, in uh, <laughs> college because I, exactly that reason. Right. Yep. It broke, mm -hmm. the, the radio people said it would never be played because it was too long. And, and, and yep. even longer songs. Yep. is American Pie. Right. And it's such oh, a yeah. classic yeah. now. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So it really, the trick, I think, is just to kind of give and take. Right. You find, right. You, find the, you find the moment when that, when it, you know when it, you, you kind of just find the moments for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, uh, and the, and that's, that's really what happened. It was like they're, they were doing their, with their label, work, doing what they were told, so to speak. And then mm -hmm. it was like, here's this song. I'm just going to make this, <laughs> just kind of <laughs> slip this into this DJ. And he was like, I'm playing this. Oh my gosh. You know? <laughs> right, 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 right. I so think it's it just kind of really like, yeah, there's a give and take there, I think right. for sure. Yeah. Right. So in the age of four minute songs <laughs> and the desire for words and all of this that we're talking about, what is the play what what is the niche for long symphonies that have no words and are there any other ways that we can you, you've talked about a few but any other ways that we can make this music feel relevant and relatable to a broader audience such that they will not only sit through a <laughs> symphony but immerse themselves in yes. it and really right. get 
as much or more out of the experience of being at a symphony, hearing a mm -hmm. symphony as they do of listening to their favorite hits on the radio. I, I really think um, it's, you want to put on a show, like definitely like play having the symphony, but like maybe video behind it, like making it just, it's a, really, really attacking the senses, so to speak. Like mm. what could be interactive that really like pulls people into going, oh, wow, you know, this, and not just like a video of just like slides, like just think, but like really, really something that maybe is, that kind of tells that story. Just having maybe one more element of mm -hmm. something that just can tie in what's being felt mm -hmm. and what's being seen, you know, just, mm -hmm. that's just an idea. I, for sure. Um, again, just kind of thinking about how young minds are <laughs> and what they need. Um, I, I really think kind of approaching it with more than just, you know, listening um, right. is really important right. for, for them. And um, yeah, that's kind of, I'm always in that space of like, oh, all right, how do I do the next bit? Like, all right, you guys, like I tell my band, all right, you guys are going to dance now. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you have never done it or done, you're, you know, we're just going to do this. We're, I know we're all uncomfortable and that's weird, but whatever, let's just do it because they will love it. It'll mm -hmm. just, it's just a matter of like, I want you to feel how I feel about music. Right. You know, right. I want you to feel every single part of this, every single, every, every part, even if a, the mandolin is playing two notes, I want you to feel that, you know, it's mm -hmm. so important. So something in my body has to change for you to feel that it's 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 such a level of like it's not just like playing you know it's like it's feeling there's this that connection of emotion that right. i think is so important to be translated and sometimes it just has, has to happen with more than just um performing maybe you know right. and all of this that you're saying all of all musicians no matter what type of music we play all of us have had this experience music gives us an um, a, an emotion that inside that we just we just need to share with the wider yeah. world and whatever that music may be we had uh we had our music director Gerhard Zimmerman as a guest recently mm. the other week and he said music is music and you know every every human culture in the world has music of some kind mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. music has does something for us no matter what kind it is that we yes. just have to share and i think if we in the classical music world can find a way to truly convey that and and help people to see that this means as much to us and gives us as much to us as listening to Bohemian Rhapsody or something mm -hmm, yeah. like that made to you. Yeah. And, and so I, I hope that we can find a way to share that with, with yes. the world. Right. And I, yes, you know, we've talked, we've talked about this um, already. Uh, you know, we talked about this at the beginning when you were, you know, sharing a little bit about your life story, but how your, your music directly talks about and engages with difficult topics that a lot of people don't um, necessarily 
um, feel comfortable engaging in like mental mm-hmm. health and uh, sexual assault and, and you know, these different topics. And uh, because of that, your audience can get viscerally involved. And, you know, we were just talking about, you know, how do we get symphony audiences to feel viscerally involved with their music as well? Mm-hmm. Um you know, may, you know, creating these touch points, like in your music, people have a, maybe a shared life experience that they can tie into. Um, and so I, we're thinking about how do we get our, our audiences engaged that deeply. I, you know, it's like maybe just encourage them to move in their chair, just shake it up a little bit, uh, you know, <laughs> as they're listening to a concert. But, um, you know, with, I think these, this idea of engaging in deep emotions, Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes our uh, classical music audiences can be seen as very um, still and that you sit in your chair and you listen and that's it. Um, yeah. So what do you think is the added value when you engage in these emotions deeply and talk about these difficult topics and think about those things while we're listening to music? How could that help our audiences feel more connected to the music they listen to on our stages? Yeah, so I think that... Um, there's that healing aspect, you know, like when, when, when a listener can really connect to those emotions, there's that, he- it, we're, we're talking about healing where there's, there's something in that music that nothing else can really reach. I don't think, in, in my opinion, there's that mo- emotion. And I, and what if like, um, I don't know the likelihood of it, but there was some sort of um, like whatever piece it was, there was a backstory we that we knew about what the composer was doing in his life at that time. We knew about um, why he, you know, they wrote the piece, and um, and then and and then there doesn't have to be words during it or anything like that, but mm-hmm. just to know that part and like and what was going on during those times. Mm-hmm. What were the people dealing with? Mm-hmm. What was um, you know you know what I mean? Just really, really kind of immersed in that because that's stuff that we, you know, people can find nuggets that they can relate to. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then just really like honing in on that beforehand, then listening to the piece. And then just, that just moves you even more, I think, because you're just like, oh my God, I can feel, I can feel where they were clearly struggling with, you know, famine or something, you know, I can feel where they, there was war. I can feel, I can, I, I can imagine. And then you're just, you know, mm-hmm. some people just need that a little bit extra. Sure. Um, but I do think it's so extremely important um, when you connect to it, when you can really fully immerse into it. Um, I really, truly believe that having that relatable emotion shared, mm-hmm. that that's really where we find healing and connection to hum- humanity and right. and um, and value and voice like there's so many things there that i don't think anything else really has the the ability to do right you know absolutely so you alluded to this earlier you mentioned your wife meryl and uh you of course are a member of the lgbt community how has this aspect of who you are affected your life experience and your experience in the music industry Mm. So, oh man, yeah, it has been hard. So <laughs> here I've already had like the the trauma part of 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 life of amongst other things to deal with, and then boom, I'm like, okay, now now there's this piece. So, um, it was really difficult at first. I you know I 
thinking like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be normal? I'm always having these things like what's, you know, just not being able to fit in or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then on top of which, the one thing that I'm chasing constantly has always been music and to really pursue that and find it, you know, figure out how to make it lucrative. And then to be told by actual like people in the industry that I had to hide that, that I had to be in the closet in order for them to sign me mm. or move forward with me. I had to hide that or, you know, and grow my hair out and do all like basically be things I wasn't, not be so controversial, not be so open. Like all there's so many things. And so um that was really difficult for me. And it I mean and this was like run, even when I started to get into it more, like really, really pursuing my my career. And that that just really uh it really discouraged me for a really long time. But I kept going. I just kept going. And you know, now now uh with this new album pushing it, I now I have four different rec record labels interested in yeah. working with me and I don't have to change any part, which is really nice, but it took, it's, it's like, it took years to really like move and change in our society to be a little more accepting of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it hasn't been easy. That's right. for sure. It has been really hard. <laughs> Were you surprised that the industry was the way it was? Because I have to say, I, I feel like the arts of all places have for years, decades, even centuries, been a more open-minded mm. sector of society and, and music and art, all of those. And so did it surprise you that the industry was so closed-minded about that? It Honestly, it didn't because it was coming from mostly straight men. And so my experience had been that I was supposed to be more of um, to to ex, um, extort or my, whatever the word is um, my sexuality, mm -hmm. and that I um, I was already in a man's world with this with in this the business side of things, and so yeah, I wasn't really surprised. That's kind of was my experience um, in the workplace in general. So then hearing that. Mm. No, I, it didn't surprise me. I, um, because of the source. Now I felt like they were, I knew they were wrong. I thought, well, <laughs> you're <laughs> an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that there is, there, there are, you know, with, with, with the arts in particular, that there would be support, that there would be, um, I would be, I would be in good hands. I just know it, but yeah, I just, it's just not how it went right. at, at the time. We've so. gotten, we've gotten to talk a lot uh, on the podcast with women in very powerful positions in the world of classical music mm. and it, women are still a minority as far as leadership roles in our industry is concerned, but this is something that is slowly but surely starting to change. Would you say that the recording industry is the same? Are you starting now to meet more female executives at some of these record labels? Or do you think that this is a very serious, deep-rooted problem that 
is still at square one and has a long, long way to go. So I still don't see a lot of females in, in those positions yet. Um, but I do see a change in the, the industry as far as um, almost wanting more women to be in those those roles maybe you know or um the excitement of a female producer like i'm yeah. like i'm a producer you know i don't just yes yes i write my songs yes i perform my songs but i also produce my songs that means i record them all that means i do the mixing you know mm -hmm. so the tech side of it you know right. and so finally um there's been more of an openness and an encouragement to that and it's almost like it's kind of like a um like it's because it's rare and unique, then it's a little bit sought after now, I think, right. which is kind of cool. Um, but there's still not enough. I mean, mm -hmm. there's not and in those positions. I'm not seeing, you know, like when I'm having these conversations with these labels, they're, you know, typically male mm -hmm. um, in those, in those positions, right. um, you know, a little bit here and there, but just not, you know, at the top, like the CEO of the, the labels, you know, it's not typically so right i know it exists i just yeah i don't I just not a not as not as much as i think it should be mm -hmm. absolutely thinking um a little bit about uh the me too movement that now feels like it was years ago uh but it's still you know still happening that that impacted the classical music world um just like it did every sector of society um with seeing how when someone's in a position of power uh, manipulation can happen that much easier and knowing that that happened be, uh, with people who were you know music directors or conductors or section leaders within the classical music world um, and that came to light and hopefully will not be as much of an issue going forward uh, but I know that also this affects the the music industry as well the record industry and, and recording and labels and how has how, how do you view you know, the Me Too movement and, and we've been talking about, you know, people in power and getting more women in positions of power. What do you think the music industry needs to do in order to create a more balanced, um, uh, balanced power between the sexes and, you know, a shared experience and equity between everyone? Uh, I mean, I think because that, you know, music isn't, the music industry isn't, you know, uh, unique in that way as far right. as uh, women not being pushed forward or or supported or encouraged. You know, um, as far as something to to change that, I think just like kind of having maybe having more conversations or just having more opportunities really catered to females. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I know that there are some grants that support. I don't know about, you know, I don't, I just don't think there's enough. I think there right. needs to be a little bit more um, conversation awareness that just supports that um, and really pushes, pushes the, the agenda, so to, to so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cause it's really not, it's, it's hard when it, it comes from such a male dominated place and then you're um <laughs> the, the expectation and the standards are set and 
almost for a woman in business in this in whatever industry it is to kind of not be as good or not go as far or mm-hmm. just to kind of fail. So it's kind of be, it becomes really difficult to um, to battle that, I think. Right. So really, I just think having the conversations more like we have been, I think the Me Too movement was incredible just starting and like really getting it, mm-hmm. getting it going. But I don't think we should stop the ball from rolling. Right. I think we really keep having the conversations. And I mean, really, Kamala Harris and as vice president is a really good that's a big glass um, really ceiling shatter right there. Right. That's such a, yeah. So that's really fantastic. So I do think we're, we are progressing in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just keep, just keep the ball rolling, you right. know, keep, keep right. moving forward and um, creating opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So something that often gets brought up in these conversations, and I think it's important to consider this is as the world and the professions that exist in the world that have historically been dominated by white men become Mm. more diverse. There are many, many people that celebrate this and see the beauty in having a diverse world, diverse society, and diverse representation within professional worlds. Regrettably, there's another sector of that group that feels threatened by an increase in the diversity. And how can we, rather than telling, lecturing about why diversity is a good thing, how can we sort of bring them along with us in a way that they realize that this isn't threatening to them, that in fact, it's going to be a better thing for everybody at the end of the day to have these diverse perspectives at the table? Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, a big part of that is um, showing it. So like for me, my band is made up of such a diverse group of people, um, different races, different cultures, different religions, different backgrounds, different ages. Like, I mean, like it's, it's really cool. And that's, which is really the thing that I love about that so much is like I said before, we are family. We are, we are a, a chosen family. And I was so dead set on finding that. And even as a child, I know it's going to sound weird, but when I would go off into these, um, when I would kind of drown myself in the music scene during some of the traumatic events that I was going through, I would envision my band. And it was always people that were diverse and a huge band with like all tons of different kinds of instruments and like you know, strings and horns, like just bringing all these worlds together. I was so, so about really trying to unite that. And so my goal was to really show, show off their voices and who they are as people. And um, so, yes, it, you know, it is my music. I'm the artist, but more than that, look at, look at everyone that's a part of this and maybe somebody somebody in the audience can find someone they can that looks like them or that they relate to in some way and so that they can feel like they're a part of it too and they can see how awesome that that's not what the the diversity is what makes us strong the diversity and the inclusive inclusivity is really what makes us powerful and appreciate each other that much more 
And so I think just really showing, just showing it really mm -hmm. the why, the why, instead right. of even just talking about it, sometimes just look this, here it is, right. you know, here's an opportunity where everyone is different. And, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the way that you have been involved, uh, with the symphony is through more of the pops side of things here at, at the Canton symphony and pops concerts have become a mainstay at most orchestras. Um, but some audiences see them as, uh, you know, a necessary evil just to make some money. Cause it's oh. not, you know, you know what I like, it's, yeah. they, yeah. it's what you like do to make money. Right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it's, Pops concerts typically bring in a different set of audiences, but they don't usually translate over to the classical music um, concerts. The audiences, you know, don't typically trickle over to what w would be considered just like the, the uh, just the classical music concerts. Mm -hmm. So how do we consider um, Pops audiences to give classical music a try? But then at the same time, how do we show our classical audiences that these Pops concerts are just as valid and just as wonderful as what is seen as the very traditional method of presentation of music. Hmm. I mean, I think the pops concerts are so very cool to bring those two worlds together. Right. Um, I think it's so important. And, and even as, you know, my band, when we got our opportunity to work with uh, Canton Symphony, I was, we were all just so pumped and so excited and we were, in tears half the time going, oh my gosh, this just, it, it adds that much more, you know, to it. So as far as the crossover goes, um, that is, that is difficult. That's hard to figure out what, um, what that would be, how mm -hmm. to market to that. And I think, I think a part of it is just, um, like I said, trying to figure out how to, package it on mm -hmm. both ends like um really making it that even in like quick little something like marketing parts that are just kind of going okay like i've even had to start tiktok i i don't like i i don't know i have a really hard time with social media stuff <laughs> i don't i really truly don't i have a hard time i don't enjoy it so much um i like I love people, but I don't want, I just don't like spending so much time on those things. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me. So I have to train myself to make it like a game mm. or like, or make it like an instrument. Oh, this is like learning an instrument. Then I'm okay. <laughs> you know, so yeah, really, I have to kind of think about it in those terms. So I think really just as far as the marketing part of it goes, like both ends, like can kind of, if coming together and trying to figure out how to package those in, mm -hmm. in, a different way, like an opposite right. of what you're normally doing. Yeah. You know, I like, I like that thought of we, we market them and talk about them. Like they're so drastically different things. Uh, right. and maybe if we talked about them as if they were something very similar. Yeah. That's, that's what yeah, I mean. Like just I understand. the opposite. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's a that's a wonderful idea because, like we mentioned before, Gerhard said music is music. So why you know why, exactly. why do we talk about it in such a different light? I think that's really that's really interesting. Yeah, and the people who come to the pops, in the very least, they appreciate oh, yeah. that their community has a symphony orchestra. Oh, for sure, and mm -hmm. they appreciate yeah. what the orchestra adds 
yes. to this music that they know and love. The music yes. of Queen, for instance, which yes. we did just before the pandemic to a sold out crowd. It's crazy. <laughs> or to, to your music, to your fans who came to hear you at the Divergent series. Mm-hmm. I am sure that they really appreciated what the musicians of the Canton Symphony brought to your sound. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Absolutely. Still talking about it. Yes. <laughs> so we, I think we need to, uh, both of these, both of our sectors of our audience appreciate that their community has a symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if we start there and mm-hmm. can use that as a starting point for both audiences, that's our mm-hmm. common ground. And mm-hmm. somehow from there we can move forward. Right. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I, I agree. I think it's just kind of forcing yourself to think out of the box in those terms instead of doing what you've always done, you know, right. and it's not growing, then sometimes it's it's hard to kind of, you just got to kind of step out and go, okay, but what can I do that's the opposite of this? Mm. That to, with the same with the same message, but just the opposite of how it's presented maybe, right? you know, kind of revamping that a little right. bit. What? What do you think that we uh, here at the Canton Symphony could learn from your your band? What could we learn from how you all uh, do your music? Oh, um, I mean, I guess like I think what could be kind of cool is getting to know everyone individually. Mm. Like if everyone kind of talked about who they were and what they would you know just like right. just to kind of get a little more personal connection to every single to, to, the, to the people who were playing like you know again you, utilizing things like tiktok you know because that's that's really what's so cool like having um a lot of my my um bandmates they are they're on social media they're on you know and then and people connect to them and then then they even come be, they come to see us as a whole because they've connected to one of them even mm-hmm. more so, which is awesome. Like right. it's about, cause that's what it's about. You know, it's, it's how I re- really relate to this person and this is what's coming out of them. And that's really cool. Mm. Um, so yeah, maybe something, something along those lines um, and really kind of just honing in on, on that emotional connection to, to, to the human and right. then, then bringing out the emotion side of, what the music is saying for sure absolutely and you know it can be hard at times because in a place like canton we're a part-time orchestra so Mm. yeah almost everybody in the orchestra doesn't live in canton and Mm. the reason is these people are playing they, they cobble together their living by playing not only here in canton but in the akron symphony in the erie philharmonic Oh uh, yeah, even in the Toledo West Symphony Virginia. or the Kalamazoo in Michigan, yeah. and so some mm. of these people live. A few live in Canton, a number live near, but some live in another state. Right. Mm. See, see, even that, like knowing that, I think highlighting the the parts of what make what makes the Canton Symphony Orchestra unique. And then going around and like highlighting each person maybe and just like talking again, it's all that backstory. Right. It's what makes you special. Mm-hmm. And then kind of um, why the pieces you chose and why mm-hmm. and 
what does it mean to you as a as the musician um playing it like all of that stuff i think i really just think that it's a matter of like um relatable like making it relatable and making right. it personable mm. um because even though like that everyone's from somewhere different i think that's really cool like use that you know that's really awesome um how cool that everyone's from somewhere but like that's so wild you know um <laughs> so yeah kind of just looking at what you have um already and and uh telling the story behind it and why and i think that it, it's it's hard it's funny because like i i first i was like no one's going to care about this or being inter interested in this. And then sure enough, it was like, oh, gosh, people really like because they can relate to it. It's always because they can relate to it. Right. So now you make it more relatable and then they're just like they want to be a part of it. Right. Absolutely. Right. So where do you see the music industry going in the future, in the near term, in the far term and the industry as a whole? What uh, popular this popular sector, the classical sector? Where do you see the future of the music industry going? Mm. I mean, so I, well, I hope, <laughs> I hope that we get back into playing live concerts again. That's my, absolutely. Main, right. so that's like, that's the first and foremost thing. And I, and I don't think, I think, I think we will get there again. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not worried that that, that has to happen. I just think that we're, we're just around the corner from it. Um, but I also think that we're we're in a space that's kind of cool right now um, with the pandemic because we've we've really had time to see what it's like without that without live concerts. So people have have had some time to kind of go. And honestly, like I feel like I've gotten more support during this time than ever before. That's that's accurate for the symphony as well. Because they know, right. And I think a big part of that is because we're not there. We're not, we're not out, you know? So I think it's, I, I, I do feel as though there was like, oh no, we, we're realizing this is so important and we can't lose that. And so um, my hope is that um, that isn't forgotten. And I do believe that that'll stick with, with some people and, um, it'll make them maybe appreciate that much more once we're all playing out again. Right. Yeah. Do you think, do you see people flocking to live concerts again when the <laughs> pandemic is over? And do you see the, all of us as performers, do you see our, us being able to sustain a heightened level of interest following the pandemic or do you think it's going to be a spike and then sort of back to yeah. life as usual <laughs> pre-pandemic and if and if there is that spiked interest how do we keep it going exactly that's the thing yeah so yeah, yeah um i think there will be those who um it won't be lost on i think there will be a group you know however many people that will they'll go hard <laughs> so to speak <laughs> they'll be like at all the concerts and flocking to them and you know um but yeah as far as there being i do think that it'll it it'll spike will be like yes and it'll be exciting again um but that will be key for us as musicians and artists and everyone in this industry to 
um, take that and keep, keep making it fresh, right. Keep giving them, you know, um, I don't know. I, I kind of, I'm, I, I always like to think of everything in terms of themes and like, like, okay, we did this, this was the theme, you know, this was, these were our costumes for it. This was the, the premise and this was the story and we had video and we had, you know, whatever, all these aspects of it. And now that one's done. Now let's move on to the next one. So I was always kind of thinking of it in terms of like, what's the next thing? What's the next theme? What's the next to give people something right. that's just, um, that they can come and see. And, and, and really like, I just feel, um, the reason you go to concerts is because that, so you can immerse in it. Right. And so like, I, I it's as opposed to just like listening to it at home and going, Oh, and if you, if you, if you go to a concert and it's just the same as listening to it at home, then why to go to the concert, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, there's almost a responsibility on our, on our end to give them the reason. And that could be so many things that could be like a flash mob in the audience that could, be, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just yeah. really, really, really making people giving them something, you know? And so I'm, I, I'm always just kind of thinking of that for them for right. concerts, always just yeah. thinking ahead of what that would look like. And I, th I think that's something interesting for the, you know, the classical music, the orchestral music industry to think about as an industry who is notoriously stuck in the past. Uh, <laughs> how do we, taking this music that we play that is, you know, hundreds of years old, but giving it a theme, giving it a, a frame and presenting it in a way that is fresh and new and exciting yeah. so that when people come to the concerts, they are engaged with something that's not four minutes long. They're engaged with something that's almost an hour long. Yeah. And, you know, it's definitely, it's something that we have to take on and we have to try our, our darndest to put something together that is worthy of someone getting off their very comfortable couch, buying a ticket and sitting in a chair. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because I know after sitting, I know like, maybe people are ready to get off their couch. But my couch is really comfortable. I do like my couch. <laughs> it's, it's really nice. <laughs> oh my, yeah, I get that. <laughs> totally. But I do think fortunately that this time has made all of us realize just how important live performance yes. is yes. to us. And that, Absolutely. you know, I have a, a wonderful record collection, vinyl record collection. Mm, I love, love vinyls. Same. But there is simply no replacement mm -hmm. for being in the room, hearing yeah. it from yeah. their instruments to yeah. my ears yeah and there's yeah. just no replacement for that and i i'm, yeah. I'm sure that people that I, I can't be the only one out there that feels that oh way. no you're not i don't i think <laughs> there's like when you can when you can hear the frets squeak or you can hear you can you can see the bow like the bows like the hair is flying or you know or, or just the sweat of of a, of a of a musician it's also that's not that's why you go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think just like really maximizing that even more right. so on our ends, like going for, even to like putting, um, uh, musicians in the, in the audience, like staging them while they're, you know, playing among people and just like really feeling like make people uncomfortable because that's like, it's uncomfortable for only a time, a very short time. And then it's nothing, they'll, something they'll never forget for as long as they live. It's like, and you know, pieces 
that incorporate exactly what you're just talking about. I, I had an experience, I think I was 12, mm. and my parents took me to see the Verdi Requiem played mm. by the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. Ooh. And there is a moment in the tuba miram where there are offstage trumpets throughout the hall. Yeah, yes. And we were sitting in the balcony and one of them was probably 15 feet away from me. <laughs> and the moment that they all started to play, I just was in total awe yes. of the experience. Yes, yes. It was, I mean, for little 12 year old me, Yeah. it was, it blew me away. Yes. And I still remember that. it. Exactly. Exactly. I'm 30 and I still remember it. Exactly. And that's what I think that needs to happen more like that. We can't be afraid of, of, of doing things like that. I know that it's not always, maybe it's not always easy with sound and whatnot, but just trying to do it. Like I, um, that, that was a kind of a moment for me, just pushing myself to go out, like we're here we are on the stage and I would make myself go out and into the audience, um, even if with the band, like we're starting out in the audience, maybe and we're singing in harmony or we're just, you know, or just really, really trying to interact. And that's the stuff that people are just like, because it's right in their face. Right. And then they keep coming back because they want more of it. They want that experience again. So I think we have like that obligation to really give it to them. Right. Absolutely. Right. So as we finish up today, any final thoughts on how we here at the Canton Symphony Orchestra can orchestrate change? Hmm. Uh, so you once, so you said um, something about, something about a, being kind of being stuck in the past with certain approaches. And I think maybe just thinking about that a little bit um and I and as an artist I've had to do the same the same thing like this is how I've always done it this you know here is a long song and these are the arrangements and I don't want to use samples and I won't you know but honestly like with this new album that I'm doing because I've been able to let go of that letting go of the past on so many levels too emotionally like with what I've been through like letting go of the past um and really, really honing into the present, like what, what's happening right now and how can I, how can I let go of that, still be me and not, not, you know, um, compromise that, but do something really, really special and new. And mm -hmm. so um, I think there's just kind of considering that the, the psychological aspect of it, you know, mm -hmm. can really, really benefit and be effective in the business side of it yeah for sure. for sure well angie thank you so much for joining us today and for and for talking and for sharing and and also for the music that you make and how you you lend it to the canton symphony every once in a while and um yeah just thank you so much for you know being brave and sharing your story and um, it's very much appreciated, and I, I know that the Canton Symphony audience members enjoy your music just as much as, as we do, so wow. thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you both. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. Angie Hayes, an award-winning singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer.
This week, we found out there is a second orchestrating change in the media. It's a highly acclaimed new documentary that tells the inspiring story of Me Too slash Orchestra, the only orchestra in the world created by and for people living with mental illness. Me Too's mission is to erase mental health stigma one concert at a time. This groundbreaking orchestra has created a transformative model of inclusion and compassion and is demonstrating music's undeniable power to enhance our lives. To learn more, please go to the film's website, orchestratingchangethefilm.com. Orchestrating Change is a production of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. Our theme music was composed by Eric Gould and performed by Derek Snyder and Tim Adams. Our audio engineer is Nathan Maslick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.